Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zewin. What up, Elizabeth Dutton? Oh, you know what's ridiculous? Oh, girl, do I got oh. one for you. You ready? I, yes. got, I know something ridiculous. Okay. Okay, this is probably going to blow doors on your mind, but Napoleon Bonaparte was a romance novelist. Really? Yeah, I just learned about this. In 1795, Napoleon wrote the novel Clisson et Eugenie, right? So the book is a, a romance novel, literally like a Harlequin romance novel. And it's a fictionalized version of Napoleon's romance with a woman named Eugenie Desiree Clary. Now, back when Nappy was a soldier, she was a young woman. They fell in love, but theirs was a doomed romance. They could not be together. So how does the romance end? He has this lover lead his men, because he's a soldier, of course, lead his men in a charge, and he dies in a hail of bullets and gunfire, like like Ice-T rhymed in New Jack Hustler. <laughs> when I die, it's going to be bullets and gun smoke. That's how his character goes out. Like, literally <laughs> speaking, though, people said it was a really good book, and <sighs> that uh, then, yeah, and then he was inspired by Rousseau and, uh, like, Goethe, and apparently it spoke to his times. So I wanted to see if this was true. So I checked Walmart for reviews of the uh-huh. book. <laughs> That's the place to go. <laughs> yeah, because I want to see if the people connected. Yeah. So I checked the Walmart reviews of Napoleon's <laughs> romance novel, and I found a person wrote five stars. A very surprising but welcome novel by someone who was the last person I would have expected to write fiction. An accomplished, well-written story set in the time Bonaparte would have known so well. Truly a very romantic author. Wow. So not just Josephine knew about his romance. Any reader of this book apparently got touched by the nephew. Wow. Well... You know, so there you go. R- ridiculous. Okay? I'm going to head out to Walmart and get one. That yeah. is ridiculous. No? Cool, cool, yeah. cool. You know what else is ridiculous? Uh, lay it on me. Telling and selling a lie so big it contributes to the downfall of a U.S. president. Ooh, I like this. Mm. 
This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. There was once an art forger named Elmer Dehori. Or Dehori. I don't know, whatever. Dehori. Yeah, Dehori. Let me do it. Dehori. He was Belgian. See, I was close. Yeah, that's probably (laughs) it. He was prolific. Was he? Yeah. And one day he's going to get his own episode of the show. Not today. Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're talking about someone who profiled old Elmer. What do you mean profiled? Like a He was a writer. Oh. Writer. And his name was Clifford Irving. Okay. Cliff was a character. Uh-huh. Uh, he was an American novelist and an investigative reporter. He was born in 1930 in New York City. Okay. His dad was a Collier's cover artist. Hmm. Um, Good magazine. Yeah. And the founding member of the National Cartoonist Society. He also created the syndicated strip Potsy. Not I don't know that one. Neither I only I. know the Happy Days character. No, this is like way before. And it's P-O-T-T-S-Y, whatever. Um, P-O-T-T-S-Y? Yeah. Huh. I don't know. It's like a little Abner character, like somebody dealing with the Depression? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So by the time that uh, Clifford Irving died, he was 87, he'd been married six times. And no relation to Washington Irving, right? Like this is not somebody from an illustrious family? Sure, maybe. Okay. Who's to say? Uh, except for me. <laughs> so he gets married. Um, so he gets married. He's been married six times. He met three of his wives while living on the Spanish island of Ibiza. Oh, Ibiza. Ibiza. Uh, in his life, he he did the following things. Sailed around the world. Mm, nice. Lived in a houseboat in India. I'm into it. Uh, he rode into Tibet on horseback. Okay, that's a move. Yeah. He was on the cover of Time magazine. That can be done. He worked with Orson Welles. (laughs) Oh, respect. He spent time in prison. Okay, I got to give it up. He was played by Richard Gere. Get out. In a film. Yeah, it was a movie called... I wonder what movie. Go on. The Hoax. Hmm, I don't know that one. Most people don't. Is it an American movie? Yeah, came out in 2006. 2006, wow. Irving... Uh, was not a fan of the movie. He said, quote, it is 90% fantasy, a hoax about a hoax, featuring someone who happens to share my name. Richard Gere is too old for the part. The film is set in Westchester County, a conservative suburb of New York, rather than the laissez-faire island of Ibiza. Yeah, he's just not having it. All right, film critic. Now, Clifford, old Cliff, he wrote a book called Fake Exclamation point. Oh, nice. And that was published June 1st, 1969. Um, it's about the Hungarian art forger, Elmer Dehori. Okay. And the movie, wound, or the book, wound up being the inspiration for the Orson Welles movie, F for Fake. I was wondering. That's yeah. what you said, Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Okay. So Irving's living in Ibiza. Um, he becomes friends with Dehori, mm-hmm. who's this master art forger. Dehori sold... Hundreds of fake pieces of art to art collectors, to museums. Um, and those people thought they were getting Picassos, Medigliani's. Oh, so this guy's like a, a cultured life then, because oh, he's yeah. got to carry this off too. So he's got like, he's swinging around he's, and like, exactly. Ascots he and... has to be in that world. All right. He was saaturating the market with thousands of these. <laughs> and there are some that are still out there today oh, that sure. haven't been identified. Museums constantly find this out. They're like, wait, 85% of this stuff is fake? <laughs> exactly. The whole so, collection? Like I said, he's going to get his own episode soon enough. Nice. but. Clifford Irving. Clifford Irving's book about Dehori mm-hmm. ended their friendship, obviously. I bet. Um, he was not, Dehori wasn't happy being referred to as a charming crook. That's the strange place I to know. start your, okay. So 
Irving's thinking about how, like, with a little bit of... Was it of, the crook part or the charming part? I Which think, part who bothered who's him? Who's to say? Okay. Um, so that's my motto for today. <laughs> um, so Irving's saying, like, you know what? If I have a little confidence, um, you know, if I could be like Dahori and pull off a major scam, like, mm-hmm. all it takes is just, you know, a little moxie. Oh, yeah. Just a little um, backbone of belief in yourself. So he's looking back at the book that he's written, and it gives him an idea. Okay. He sends a copy of fake, exclamation point, to none other than the famous recluse Howard Hughes. Oh, nice. Why? Yeah. So for those not familiar, Howard Hughes was a very successful businessman, an acclaimed pilot, a film producer, owner of movie studios and casinos, an engineer, coding addict, and at one <laughs> point the richest man in the world. Catherine Hepburn's boyfriend. Yes, he, was, he got around. Wildly eccentric, particularly as he aged. Um, he always ate the same thing for dinner. A New York strip steak cooked medium rare, a dinner salad, and peas. I would eat that. That sounds like a great dinner. I would totally eat that. Now, I would have to cut my nails. But yeah, I couldn't that part do, bothered me. I couldn't do it every single day. I couldn't, like, but... wrap my nail around a fork. <laughs> like, he, well, he's the one who never cut his nails, right? Yeah. yeah. In 1958, he went to a film studio near his house after telling his assistants that he wanted to screen some movies. Mm-hmm. And he stayed there for four months. <laughs> Didn't come out. Never left. Never turned on the lights. Just had the <laughs> films going all uh-huh. the time. Um, He would write memos to them with instructions, like, don't look at me and only speak unless spoken to. And they're like, all right. Like, slide him under the door. Yeah, exactly. The whole time he's in there, he sat in this chair, usually with no clothes on. Oh, that's the scene in The Aviator where Leonardo DiCaprio sitting there all naked, legs crossed. Exactly, just watching movies. He finally comes out in the summer of 1958, and his hygiene was disgusting. (laughs) That's when we get the fingernail thing starting. It had been weeks since he took a shower, Mm -hmm. since he cut his fingernails. He was just... Gross, gross, gross. Okay. So, and he's a germaphobe too. So yes, it was, which yeah. was like, okay, that's yeah. weird. Um, not the germaphobe, but no, like but the, the fact two, that the a germaphobe would let himself go would not. Just, yeah. So we have this really fascinating eccentric billionaire, Clifford mm-hmm. Irving, sends a copy of his book, and he was really amazed when Hughes replied with a thank you note for hmm. this free copy of the book, and he said, "I really loved how gently you handled Dahori in the book." Okay. Damn. He's like, so, you read it. Um, Irving writes back to Hughes and said, I will be equally sensitive if you let me write about you, you know? Ooh. Um, let me ghostwrite a tell-all biography. Let me write a biography, an authorized biography of you. Ooh, and then Hughes this. wrote back and accepted the request. Yes, the hook is set. Or did he? Oh, spoiler nice. Al- spoiler alert, he did not. <laughs> So he is super well-known for being a recluse, his bizarre social habits. He had avoided all contact with the media since 1958. Mm-hmm. And his last interaction was with Fortune magazine. He contacted them to complain about J. Paul Getty being listed as the world's richest man when it was actually him. <laughs> and then at the same time, he also said, stop investigating my empire. So he's like, don't look into me, but here's the thing about me. Just trust, I'm number one. So the public is desperate for information because he's so fascinating. Yeah, um, They would, 1969. And as, he's also a wild person. I oh, mean, yeah. like the movies he makes are like the yellow journalism of Hollywood. Yes, he's exactly. always uh, He's pushing the edges and the mm-hmm. limits everywhere. He's not somebody who's just trying to make money. He's trying to like really yeah, change how we are. Yeah, he innovates everywhere he goes, in every industry. Everything, yeah. Um, so 1969, Esquire magazine, they published what they called footage of uh-huh. Hughes, 
which was just a grainy image of a man in a bathrobe talking on the phone. So it was like finding Bigfoot? They're well, like, they, later, they had to admit later it's fake. Yes, that wasn't exactly. Him. Yeah. That's such a Bigfoot moment. So Anytime you have a grainy photo and you claim this is all well, you have. Well, you'll find this is a theme we get running here of like, yeah, this is, no, it's no. actually not. Yeah. Please ask more questions, people. So Irving goes to his editor, Beverly Liu, and says, look, I scored an authorized Howard Hughes book. Now, was the first note from Howard Hughes legit? No. Oh, my God. So he just sends it off, off. never hears. Yeah, that's what makes more sense. Right. Um, So he then, he goes and he talks to Life Magazine and McGraw-Hill Publishers. Okay. And he says, Hughes wants to do this, this, like, authorized biography. (laughs) This is amazing. He will only participate if the project remains a secret (laughs) while in development. And all correspondence can only be between me and Howard Hughes. (laughs) Even when it's like the matters of finance for the payment, it yeah. has to go through me. You can't talk directly to him. And I'll give you his address. I happen to have it. And the so. thing is, it's like, you know, it's a little bit, uh, they can believe it because oh, he's yeah. such a recluse totally. and he's it so makes, odd. Yeah. So Irving, And he's the most, he's the richest person in the world. People want him to act this way. Yes, in a certain exactly, part of themselves, exactly. he's fulfilling their fantasies. So Clifford Irving, he gives these letters to mm-hmm. the publishers, um, that verify everything from Hughes, but they're forged. He's written these, I'm Howard Hughes. Hey, everybody. Um, And like, don't forget, so Howard Hughes hasn't been seen in public for more than a decade. Um, People just accept this whole lie. In an effort to maintain secrecy, any communication about the book between Irving and the publishers had to be referred to as Project Octavio. (laughs) Well, I don't even know where that comes from. But yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, only thing I so think if you is... add these weird things on top, of course, they're like, oh, we're eating this up, you know? <laughs> so Irving signs the contract to write the book for McGraw-Hill, okay. uh, March 23rd, 1971. And he negotiated a deal for $100,000 for him Damn. to write it. Back then, that's a grip. Hughes was going to get a $750,000 advance on the book. And there is no Hughes to get this. There's a fake Hughes. It was most likely him. Life magazine comes through with plans to publish serialized excerpts um, later as the story developed. So they cut a check to Irving for $250,000. Damn. He's getting the cash. Then Dell Publishing steps in. Getting some of that loose family loot. (laughs) Dell steps in. Dell Publishing steps Uh in and gets the paperback publishing rights for $400,000. We'd like to novelize this. We're going to put it in the old. Remember they used to have the the spinners spinners in the supermarket. Uh Okay, so Irving is married to this woman named Edith Summer. She's a German-born Swiss citizen. So Clifford Irving sends his wife, Edith, to Switzerland with a forged passport Mm -hmm. to open an account under the name Helga R. Hughes, or H.R. Hughes. Hughes. That's where they deposited the check from McGraw-Hill to Hughes for $750,000. And did they have it written to H.R. Hughes? Uh That's brilliant. Don't forget that they insisted all communication, even the financial stuff. So, They've controlled everything. They're like, yeah, don't worry, I'll take him the check. As long as the bank clears this, we're golden. Yeah, exactly. So over a period of nine months, uh, his wife, uh, Edith, going Mm -hmm. under the name Helga, she would fly to Geneva and take cash out of the fake Hughes account 
um, while disguised in a wig and sunglasses, because Good. of course. Yeah. And then she'd fly back to Ibiza and hide the cash throughout the farmhouse that she and Irving were sharing. Oh. That they lived in. Oh, wow. So she they they put it in. They're taking the cash out, stashing. And they it. went with the mattress as the answer. For yes, the it was lewd. like in the walls. Yeah. Like okay. they were like replace a bathtub, and it goes in the. Okay, so. Irving and his longtime friend— Just and, for a note, never hide money in something that can burn. Just, just right? putting that out there. Exactly. Right. They should have put it, like, in, like, a cold storage under the house anyway. Yeah, exactly. So— It's the reason why people buried money back in the day. <laughs> that's right. Irving and his longtime friend and fellow researcher, Richard Suskind, mm-hmm. um, they did all the research necessary for the book, which is to mean, like, kind of— <laughs> so they go to Palm Springs. Yeah. Irving runs into an old friend who's looking for help to get his unpublished manuscript cleaned up. I love writers. What's the, <laughs> what's the manuscript? It's the memoirs of Noah Dietrich, who was the right-hand man of Howard Hughes for more than 30 years. Oh, So wow. his friend's writing, you know, cleaning yeah. up this manuscript for Noah, right? Dietrich was a certified public accountant. Um, and he was called upon to assist Howard Hughes when he was just 19 years old and had inherited Hughes Tool Company upon the death of his parents. So he's like both his smithers and his like... Yes, exactly. Okay, like right. he's, yeah. And so here he's written his memoirs and uh-huh. it's going to be this fascinating thing. So the the buddy of uh, Clifford Irving is like, hey, can you, you know, as, as people sure. do to writers, yeah. can you take a pass at this and uh-huh. see... Clifford copies Noah's manuscript for use in his own book. <laughs> I bet he used it verbatim, he exa- too. <laughs> he did. So then Irving and Suskin, they start He's like, putting— like, if I publish it first, it ain't <laughs> exactly. plagiarizing. Whoever crosses the finish line first. Irving and Suskin, they start putting the book together. They realized it would make a much better autobiography than a bio. <laughs> so Irving forges a note from Hughes giving approval for the change. <laughs> yeah, I'll ghostwrite the autobiography now. So now we have this autobiography of Howard Hughes coming out. This makes the project even oh, bigger. Of course. When we come back from this break, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how this whole pack of lies gets molded into an actual book. Yes. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. 
That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Okay, we're back. Hey. Good ads, look right? Look at us. Totally. Juicy. Great ads. Yeah. Juicy, firm ads. Succulent. Delicious. Still in the air. Mm, mm. <laughs> we just huff. Oh, that's nice. Okay. So we're talking about Clifford Irving and his friend Richard Susskind working on an unauthorized and often fabricated autobiography (laughs) of Howard Hughes. This is what Clifford Irving said. We'd sit there with a tape recorder and a mountain of notes and documents, and literally I would say, do you want to be me today or do you want to be Howard? And then we'd start recording, going back and forth, stopping often to check on facts. So they're making these recordings. They're making fake recordings uh-huh. to document the story they're lying about. Uh-huh. This is amazing. It all comes together. So according to Irving, he said he interviewed Howard Hughes in Mexico, uh-huh. Los Angeles, Puerto Rico, Florida, and the Bahamas. <laughs> all pretty believable. And everything was arranged by Howard Hughes. He went overboard in compiling the details of these supposed meetings. Um, he said that uh, he wrote a note. From Hughes to himself saying, uh, you know, let's meet in the Bahamas. You're such a good writer. Let's meet in the Bahamas. You're so handsome and you're a great writer and I want to be like you. Let's meet in the Bahamas. Um, So then he makes these notes that like, oh, all the flights were booked for travel on those dates. I can't get it. Let's go to Oaxaca, Mexico instead. (laughs) Okay, writes Howard. That sounds cool. Like he's writing these back and forth notes, like talking to himself. And. He went, so he does go to Oaxaca, Mexico. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yes, you kind of need the record. He you? goes with his lover at the time, singer and Dan- Danish baroness Nina Van Pollent. Right. What happened to fake Helga? Fake Helga's sitting at home in Ibiza. Just, oh. uh-huh. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Not uh-huh. on my watch. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. So he's stepping out. Um, and using this as like this, you know, let's go to Oaxaca. Oh, yeah. I recognize the type. So Clifford, he goes so far as to create a story in the introduction of the book about how shocked he was that Howard Hughes wanted him to ghostwrite his life story. This is what he said. I speculated for a while if this could be a practical joke. <laughs> Hughes said, you're an outsider of a sort, a kind of (laughs) cultivated maverick, a selfish son of a bitch. I have to like any man who goes his own way as long as he doesn't step on my toes. (laughs) It kind of sounds like Howard Hughes, though. Right? (laughs) I mean, there's a weird tone there. There's a weird, yeah. yeah, He gets really good at mimicking this. So... And he didn't throw any like weird stuff like, and you're such a great dancer. Remember that time in Oaxaca where your you looked at me and your I knew legs go on this for man days. can tell my story. The rhythm is in him. <laughs> so Irving said that Hughes advised him not to trust the publishers uh-huh. and that he pointedly instructed him to always be present in the room when they go over the manuscripts. <laughs> so like, you have to be watching everything. I don't know. Howard Hughes told me to do it. Yeah, and it sounds very Hughes-like. This is the quote that Irving made up. He said that Hughes said. Yeah, I love this. Don't go to their offices. 
You'll go out to take a leak and they'll have 200 pages Xerox before you zip up your fly. People are so tangled up in lies, spouting lies day in and day out to themselves and to their friends and their dear children, their dear children who are going to grow up and be the same fountains of crap. It's great. Like, it's very Howard Hughes-esque. I love it. I got a lot of quotes in this one, by the way. Oh, dude, you know the, the Hell's Angels get their name from his movie, Hell's Angels. Right. I mean, like, the guy has so many connections oh, yeah. to the culture you just don't even know exactly. about. Exactly. These little I'm tendrils this. everywhere. I love Howard Hughes the kook. Right? So the book revealed things about Howard Hughes the kook <laughs> never before known to the public. I bet. And that's because they were lies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, Irving said that Hughes flew secret combat missions with the RAF during World War II. Once again, could be believable. Sure. He was a pilot. He's, he was he you know, daring. He said that Hughes paid visits to Albert Schweitzer in Africa. Okay, now we're bordering on... <laughs> he said that Hughes befriended Hemingway in Cuba. Okay, this is just getting too this cute. This is getting a little bit out there. Uh, he said that Hughes tried to free himself from, from, quote, the bondage of money and power by squatting by the Ganges disguised as a beggar. Oh, right. Come yeah, on now. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but people, you know. Um, Writers always going too far. There was another false morsel included uh -huh. in the book. It was a reference to money paid to the family member of a politician. It hit a little close to home, and it contributed to that politician's downfall, although not in the way you'd think. Okay. So, Irving, So, wait, in the book he said that Howard Hughes gave money to a politician, and that was the lie? Well, it's not that much the lie. So, okay, right. here's what happened. All right. Irving and Suskin found out about a true story okay. that Howard Hughes loaned $205,000 to Francis Donald Nixon, Richard Nixon's brother. Huh. Francis had asked for help to bail out a restaurant chain called Nixon's that was popular in the 1950s but went bankrupt in 61. I've never heard of the right. Nixon's. Well, Nixon's was doing really well, and then Bob's Big Boy came to town. <laughs> and Bob's Big Boy, the old Big Boy, had car hops on roller skates. Totally. Fun, and sexy. And you can't top that. I'm sorry. No, no. Everyone's just like, okay, I can go to Nixon's. Barring. Or I could watch someone try and carry me some french fries and a shake and take a digger in the parking lot. Where am I going to go? <laughs> I'm, going, I'm picking the digger every time. So, like, but the Hughes Cash just couldn't save the Nixon's restaurant chain. Mm -hmm. So, at the time, Richard Nixon was vice president in the Eisenhower administration. Yeah, totally. um, he later campaigns for the presidency. I love, by the way, president and vice president brothers. They are Always a mess. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, we're talking Clinton's brother, Bush's brother, uh -huh. Reagan's brother. No, not Reagan's brother. Carter's brother. Carter's brother. They're all, they, Billy Carter was a, you know, anyway. But <laughs> I didn't know Nixon had an idiot brother. This is amazing. Exactly. So um, later, Nixon's campaigning for the presidency, right? Uh -huh. The press gets wind of the loan. And it looks like Hughes had the Nixons in his pocket. Oh, yeah. This is a new checker scandal. Everyone runs with it. And then it winds up becoming this sort of joke. Nixon's at a campaign stop in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And he's asked to pose in front of a banner with Chinese characters on it. Okay. And then someone later told him that the characters translated to, but what about the Hughes loan? <laughs> <laughs> and then later that day, they're having lunch. And it turns out that every fortune cookie that was served had been specially made with fortunes inside that read, ask him about the Hughes loan. Are you for real? Yeah, definitely for real. Oh, my God. They probably went to that Golden Gate fortune cookie yeah, factory, which so is amazing. You can, yeah, make you can have anything. Yeah. But also, so, I want to know the Chinese characters for Hughes loan. Like <laughs> Exactly. So um, it was revealed during the Watergate case that Nixon had the Secret Service wiretap his brother. Oh, yeah. And he wanted Wire to make sure, everybody. yeah, he didn't want to get any more questionable business dealings, screw it up. <laughs> 
During all this drama, Irving and Susskind are writing their fake autobiography. Yeah, this is like 71, 72, right? Yeah, it's exactly. And they're mixing fact and fiction pretty freely. Uh-huh. So they take the loan story and then they sprinkle lies on top. <laughs> so Irving said that Hughes told him, I remember saying to Dick, that's not enough. Let's double it. <laughs> So they make it out like, no, it wasn't two hundred and five. It was like $400,000, like mm-hmm. much bigger than everyone thought. So a source at McGraw-Hill saw this like, oh, crap. Like it was a way bigger loan than everyone thought. He gives the copy to— um, A newspaper journalist? Yeah. Like he gives a copy of the still, still secret yeah. book to the FBI. Oh, way worse. Yeah. The FBI, they turn around and they give it to the White House. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> to the master himself. They provided reports of all these alleged interactions between Irving and Hughes. Yeah. So, um, worried about the what other information could be divulged, and under the belief that Irving's a Democrat, uh-huh. which is like all that whole like. Oh yeah, this is Nixon. Everybody who's an enemy is a is, Democrat, exactly, or a college student. <laughs> exactly. So the White House, they conspire to break in to the Democratic National Committee headquarters out. in the Watergate building. The reason why he wants to do Watergate is to find out about this lie? Part of it as an attempt to learn just how much the Democrats knew about the Hughes connection. Oh, my God. Can I? I need so, a moment. Brains are coming out of my ears. H.R. H. Halderman. Another HR. Aid to Nixon. <laughs> yes. John Dean, yes. White House counsel. Uh-huh. G. Gordon Liddy. They disclosed in their respective memoirs. Howard Hunt, all the boys. That the concerns that the Nixon administration had that Irving's book would reveal undisclosed financial ties between Nixon and Hughes. Uh-huh. That's part of it. December 7th, 1971, McGraw-Hill, they make a public announcement that they will be publishing the autobiography of Howard Hughes. Oh, wow. So, like, it's and out Hughes there. Hughes is still alive at this point. Hughes is so still he's going to find out. Right. So, here we and have. And Dietrich's going to find out the assistant. Exactly. So, here, oh, like, man. everything's coming. So, we have, like, Watergate thanks yeah. to this whole thing. <laughs> it's amazing. So, McGraw Hill, we're publishing this. Uh-huh. Everyone's pants fall down. One day later, after they announce it, uh, December 8th, 71, uh-huh. then the Hughes Tool Company denies the authenticity of the book and demands that it not be pr- printed. Oh, yeah. So, like, enough. A new one. Now, McGraw Hill and Life, they stand by Irving's claim that the book is legitimate. Oh. Oh, they go hard on this. That's a mistake. Hughes had been out of the public eye for so long. Uh-huh. And that, that journalists start to believe maybe he did agree. To or, the book. or maybe they got those, those whiffs of greed that come along and they're <laughs> well, like, oh, well, I can the, smell the money. The, all these journalists think he agreed, but maybe he changed his mind yeah, uh-huh. for fear of like how this would impact his empire. Whatever. None of, well. Time Life journalist Frank McCulloch uh, was the last person to interview Hughes 14 years prior to this. He gets a call from Hughes saying that he had this never like, heard. He interviewed him like Spruce Goose era, like late 50s. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he gets a call from Hughes saying that he's never heard of Clifford Irving, never communicated with mm-hmm. him about anything, let alone a tell-all biography. McCullough in, yeah. turns around the and interviews. Journalist, yeah, yeah, he interviews Irving, reads the manuscript, and determines that Irving's telling the truth and the call was from an imposter. What? No. The call was actually from Howard Hughes. Oh, my God. Howard Hughes is trying his best to be like, you guys. And the only person who can basically, they say, oh, yeah, I can authenticate him. He's like, ah, it's not him. Yeah. Irving pulls the wool over his eyes. Are you kidding me? Howard Hughes, his voice wasn't, like, I guess it was a pretty distinct voice. You could imitate it. Yeah, Yeah. so they figured January 7th, 1972, just before publication of the fake autobiography, Hughes did the unthinkable. 
and held an incredibly rare televised press conference to denounce the book. Yes, my dude. Go out there and be like, let's get all the liars in one room. If not, turn the camera on me. I'll point them out. Zarin. No. Close your eyes. (laughs) I want you to picture it. Oh, my God, I'm there. You're an NBC uh, TV producer sitting in a conference room (laughs) labeled Studio 3 at the Sheraton Universal Hotel in Hollywood, located on the grounds of the Universal Film Studio. Oh, I know it well. Seven journalists are gathered there to ask questions of the reclusive Howard Hughes. NBC is recording the whole thing for TV and will be sharing the footage with the other two major networks at the time, CBS and ABC. The reporters chat away while waiting for the press conference to begin. A hush falls over the room as a conference phone at the center of the table rings. You reach out and click the speaker button. There's a crackle on the line. Howard Hughes is calling in from the ninth floor, he'd taken over the entire floor, of the Grand Britannia Hotel in Paradise Island, Nassau, Bahamas. Wow. He's been living there since leaving Las Vegas a little over a year earlier. For three hours, the 66-year-old eccentric billionaire candidly answered questions and gave far-ranging thoughts about his business empire, his health, Fingernail clippers, imitation leather shoes, and the construction of airplanes. The 71 Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> this is amazing. It's like a Fidel Castro speech. Oh, three hours yes, just holding hours. court. He tells them, you know what? I'm really healthy. Don't worry about me. I'm six foot three and three quarters. Uh-huh. And I weigh somewhere between 140 and 150 pounds. Oh, God. How is that healthy? That ain't healthy. That's not healthy. That's what less have? than I weigh, and I'm not that tall. <laughs> so... He denied that his fingernails and toenails were eight inches long and that his hair went all the way down his back. He said, not true. Um, The reporters had agreed ahead of time among themselves not to ask anything about his private life. Oh, yeah. So the intention was to first make sure they know it's Hughes himself on the call. I wonder how they authenticated it. Well, they had a series of questions they were going to ask him. Mm -hmm. And some of them he didn't quite get right. But then when they would press him, he was able to give such technical details about things that it had to be him. Oh, so he's talking about his own inventions and things like that. Exactly, the aerospace stuff. Yeah, like he, and he he just had a way of explaining it. There's no one else on this earth who could do that. Yeah, no, you get to a certain point, it's like only Howard Hughes knows this. Right. So they verify it, they ask him about his business empire, and then they want to get his take on this supposed autobiography. So McGraw-Hill, still swearing they have proof of Hughes' cooperation, he begs to differ. differ. (laughs) He says, quote, I only wish I were still in the movie business because I don't remember any script as wild or as stretching the imagination as this yarn has turned out to be. I'm not talking about the biography itself because I've never read it. I don't know what's in it. But this episode is so fantastic that it taxes your imagination to believe that a thing like this could happen. <laughs> this is Howard like, Hughes talking. He's like, I wish I could make a movie about <laughs> yeah. this mess. He goes on, he, he questions how the paper trail with the check to him hadn't been able to... Completely. He's like, come on, we have it. McGraw-Hill said that they had the canceled check, um, but they wouldn't share it with the public yet. Lies. Or <laughs> Hughes' saying. representative. So the interview comes out, uh-huh. and it's fantastic. Like, the New York Times has, like, the whole full transcript of it, and because there was a Times reporter sure. there. Then they have an article that just kind of summarizes and gives context. Uh-huh. They have um, a thing about how much the call cost, 
Um, oh, because it it's like, long distance. Because it was long distance. Back and it then. was like, in those days, it was like $360. And it had a little thing like, this thing costs three. But which I did the calculations, and today it's like a couple thousand. Yeah, like, totally. It'd be really a, a, yeah, and they were a saying, paycheck for it some people. It hasn't been decided who's going to pay for the call yeah. yet. Like, it was a, an interesting little thing in the corner. Like this this call cost as much as your mortgage. Right, basically. Um, and so uh, this is the statement that McGraw-Hill gave um, after the interview came out. McGraw-Hill and Life reaffirm that they possess the authentic (laughs) autobiography of Howard Hughes, and they plan to publish it as was originally announced on December 7th, 1971. It is alleged that Howard Hughes made a telephone call Friday repudiating this material and the man who worked on it with him, Clifford Irving. We cannot accept this. Oh, my. Their lawyers are biting <laughs> like, off such a costly dude, fight. Dude. They're like, oh, we're going to make so much, and you're going to give it Let's to these go guys. Let's go with the richest <laughs> man in the world. Exactly. What are you thinking? They go on to list all the handwriting experts, all the documentation. Don't care. That they had that confirmed that Irving had been working with the real Howard Hughes, even though they had That's the real Howard Hughes on the secondary, phone. secondary, yeah. This is how they finished up their statement. McGraw-Hill and Life thus have substantial written and verified documentation authorizing this autobiography. Finally, we have a completely convincing manuscript. No one who has read it can doubt its integrity or, upon reading it, that of Clifford Irving. I got to give out to man Clifford Irving because as a writer, to have everyone take your back like this is such a rare moment. Oh my God, seriously. I'm like, dude, look at you, bro. Like, you live the dream. Usually they cut bait. Like, they're, okay. So then... Irving says the man on the phone, imposter. He's like, that guy, not Howard Hughes. And also the 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 chutzpah of this guy. To oh, be able yeah. to go up against the richest man in the world and go, he's a liar. I don't, yeah. You got to listen to me. So, this is impressive. Do you remember Noah Dietrich? Yeah, totally. The assistant, the Smithers. The assistant that he ripped off. Yeah. Dietrich came forward and vouched for Irving. What? <laughs> what? Said, I was like, this is where the truth comes out. He said that Clifford's book read as authentic. And How? maybe because parts of his book were, we're in, in there. It, of course. I don't know. Was he getting his beak wet on However, this? How the hell? when he heard the telephone interview between Hughes and the Bahamas and the reporters in L.A., this is what he said. That was Howard Hughes's voice. There's no question about it. A lot of people can imitate voices, but his mannerisms of speech, his halting manner, were unmistakable. Then he goes on to say, There are several theories about the book. The one I lean to is that Hughes got himself trapped. That he was a party to the writing of the book, and after the manuscript went to McGraw-Hill and he signed the contract, the lawyers foresaw trouble. So they've got to get him out of this. One theory is that one of those Mormon boys, that's apparently the Hughes Palace Guard of these aides who would take care of him. Oh, yes. Oh, I heard or did remember this. Yeah. Will take the rap and say he signed the checks the publishers say were paid, but Hughes denies. That's a fairy theory. But these reports about the money going into a Swiss bank account, I don't understand. Hughes knew enough about taxes. I taught him enough about that. Why would he deposit the money in a Swiss bank? So that doesn't make any sense. What if it's not him? Let's entertain that notion for a second. Irving does not budge from his story. I like it, though. I got to give him respect (laughs) on that. It keeps spinning out when we come back. I'm going to tell you how far out it goes. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. 
You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. All right, Zaren. Dude, this story is so insane. <laughs> it's like, totally I, like insane. we have covered Watergate, and I momentarily forgot about right? that because I'm so enamored <laughs> right? with the Howard Hughes of it all. So, okay. we have this scandal brewing. Uh-huh. Some people they think that Howard Hughes authorized this. Uh-huh. Is it an imposter? Is Irving full of it? Clifford Irving, he goes on 60 Minutes to be interviewed by... Mike Wallace? Yes! Yeah! <laughs> yes! If you're getting the truth, it's from Mike That's Wallace. That's when you know it's good. Oh, oh my yeah. God, Mike Wallace. He's going to bring the tongs and hot hammers. Oh, He's yeah. Good. So he asks about Irving's meetings with Hughes and if there were any witnesses. Uh-huh. Irving launches into this crazy detailed account about all their back and forths. Um, he talks about meeting with Hughes, meeting with Richard Susskind, he gives the impression that he cataloged every single detail in minutia mm-hmm. that he ha- couldn't be lying. Well, this is always an issue like in the American legal system. They say document everything and da da da. I can sit there and fabricate a bunch of documented yeah. stuff, but in court, apparently, as long as I have it all like documented and detailed and, every, and noted, and yeah. they're like, oh, this is accurate, I'm still like, well, Anyway, Mike Wallace he, later says, you know what? I believe Irving. He's telling the truth. This is a problem with the American system. But the people... technicians and the cameramen, they knew he was lying. Exactly. Like, I Anyone got his number. actually looking at what's happening and not thinking about how this is good for them? I am so disappointed in Mike Wallace. Dude, you have no idea I'm over here disappointed <laughs> in Mike Wallace. So since the majority of the scam took place in the mail, uh-huh. postal inspectors opened an investigation. Oh, yes. This is what Inspector John Tarpey told the Toledo Blade, (laughs) quote, we tried to approach it from the other side. We wanted to see whether someone else could have forged the documents, and we picked Irving to begin with. The writing was different from the Hughes documents, but close examination shows that some characteristics and habits were the same. The T's were crossed the same, the I's were dotted the same, and some letters were broken up alike. 
we took the samples to our own handwriting experts who studied them for two days and confirmed that they were the same. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm just, like, really, like, uh, suspicious of all things. But I would question everything, and you got to prove it at to a certain point. And I would start with the standpoint that someone could pull this off. Not like, right. I don't know, could well, they? Well, the handwriting experts can say. They, and can I prove that they did or well, didn't? and the handwriting expert thing. Yeah, like, but it's always the question of could someone have done this? No, let's not ask that question because now that's up to your standard. Uh-huh. Let's just assume they did and now well, ask the question. And here's, here's why I don't give a lot of credit to handwriting experts. Well, I'm gonna conf- I'm gonna make a huge confession the right mood now. Ring of experts. Yes, but I, you want to hear my huge confession? Please. When my brother was in third grade, mm-hmm. he didn't do his homework, and everyone would beg, "Please, Travis, do your homework." And he just he didn't care. Totally. And it made me upset. So nervous because that he started doing his homework. Yes. Oh my god. And he's left-handed. <laughs> he's left-handed. So I would do the home. I would do his no. homework in my left, left hand, and it looked like his handwriting. Yeah. And no one was the, the wiser. Because the slants and stuff, and yeah. if you get those certain letters right, and this mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. But they have to. Uh, no one was the wiser. You're welcome, Travis. Yeah, Travis got lucky. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about like people have got to believe that there's someone like you out there. I always believe there's someone like you out there. I'm <laughs> exactly. like, there's somebody who could pull this off exactly. who would write with their left hand. People always like no this looks like a left-hander did this well i, I like, always wonder course. like when they do like as a, as an aside which is all i ever do is yeah. a series of asides when they have like um and i don't know if they do it in real life but on tv when they i don't know and i don't watch tv yeah, of course, when naturally. they have suspect lineups and they make uh they make a suspect say it like oh yeah and why they, in the world if i'm not- do I it would, in your real voice. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, it's me. I put the money in the bag. <laughs> they're like, put money in the bag. I talk like this all the time. And they're like, oh, okay, can't be her then. Yeah, Never mind. And so. we've got all these documents that she gave us. So. <laughs> so, okay, so this is what Irving had to say about all this. Yeah. Ha, ha, about ha, the ha, handwriting. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> about the handwriting Suckers. stuff. He said, Hughes and I had the same penmanship. It was just another bit of wonderful luck that I had. Yes. I'm saying that sarcastically, he said. <laughs> if I hadn't had so much wonderful luck, I would have been stopped somewhere along the line in an early stage and had, and not had to go through it all. So, oh, my God. <laughs> so the hoax comes undone. No. I mean, we're it's talking about It's such a well-made it. hoax. <laughs> so it, it all starts to fall apart because of the Swiss bank account. Oh, I was wondering. Okay, right. who would get the straw that pulled the right one? The Swiss authorities. Yes. They get wind of this account. They look into it. I thought it might be the girlfriend who traveled to Mexico with them because they could be like, oh, wait, I can get a little more right. money to tell the truth. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they the Swiss discovered that the person making the withdrawals was Irving's wife. Yeah. Game's over. Irving confesses the hoax to his lawyer. This is what he said. The relief of confession was sweet beyond almost anything I'd ever known. (laughs) By the end, there was a deep interior gloom that had settled, and I couldn't show it. I had to keep playing the game. When everything finally began to unravel and it was fairly clear that we would be found out, if we hadn't already been found out, a number of newspapers commented on how lighthearted I seemed to be in the face of this. Of course I was laughing. I was rid of the burden. I didn't have to lie anymore. I was laughing because it was over. As the hoax unraveled, a number of people said to me, how could you lie to me? My answer was, how could I tell you the truth? If I, if you had known that this whole thing was pie in the sky, you might have given it away. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Right. I love how literally the truth will set you free is essentially what he said. Yeah. Like everything boils down to— He just to, feels great. Oh, I got to finally tell the and truth. He's so quotable. That's what oh, I love yeah. this. Highly quotable. So 400,000 copies of the now-debunked autobiography of Howard Hughes get pulped. 
Oh, just got to they, trash him. Did they didn't even go to stores? Never went to stores. I was wondering. Now, Irving didn't think that he was ever going to wind up in prison, but he did. Um, but he, <laughs> he, he lied to the FBI. <laughs> He's going to prison. <laughs> he views the entire thing as this elaborate joke. This is what he said about his sentence. I don't see it as a uh, crime worthy of society's customary revenge. Had I succeeded, no one would have been hurt. If I had had to do it all over again, I would do it all with one difference. I would succeed. No, that's the way to do it. <laughs> right? If you're going to do it all over again, that's so, the one thing to change. June 72, June 1972, he, his wife, and then Suskind, his mm-hmm. research partner, they all get sentenced. Uh, Irving, he gets uh, two and a half years for conspiracy to defraud, forgery, using the federal mail to defraud and perjury. Okay. Mrs. Irving, she gets two years, but that was suspended, and she served only two months in Nassau County Jail and then 16 months out of a two-year sentence for larceny and forgery in Switzerland. Hmm. And Suskin got six months prison, and he only served five. Okay. So Irving, he also retrieved most of the money that was hidden in the Ibiza farmhouse, <laughs> and he gave it back to McGraw-Hill, but a lot of that also then went to legal fees. Oh, right. He had the IRS after him. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. This is what he said. They told me they were taxing me for what I had taken from McGraw-Hill in 1971, which came to about $750,000, and which I had to give back, and that I could take a deduction for 1972. At that point, I was slated to work for Federal Prison Industries at 21 cents an hour. So he's like, basically, come get me, (laughs) IRS. You're screwed. Come after me, bro. When you are a ridiculous criminal Uh and you're facing prison, remember the ridiculous crime code. The motto, if you will. You must write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So Clifford Irving, he joins our pantheon of wordsmithing criminals. The best way to a book deal. And he writes a book called The Hoax. (laughs) And he writes it in between his indictment and his imprisonment. And it was created with the permission of the U.S. attorney so that he could make some money. Oh, yeah. Everyone wants him to get the restitution. So he said the book was, quote, the definitive story. I wanted the catharsis of confession. And I was aided by the fact that the U.S. Attorney's Office said, you have made a complete confession to us. And if your book differs from that, we will have you for perjury. Oh. So, okay. So your book's already written. Is essentially what you're telling <laughs> right. me. He declares bankruptcy. Uh-huh. And then the IRS said that he was lying about that. So he takes him to court, defends himself, and wins. How could he be lying about bankruptcy? I don't know. Just about how he declared it or something. Right. Okay. Edith leaves him. Okay, I figured that was coming. But it's, you know why, though? Because it came out in the papers that he was having an affair with a scuba diving instructor named Ann Baxter. Ooh. And she's like, all right, all this other stuff. Yeah, I can look I can past take. a lot of this, but Ann Baxter, Ann Baxter is where I draw the line. A scuba instructor? Excuse me, sir? Me and yeah. G. Gordon Lady are going to go get drinks. <laughs> so you'd think that, like, his jail time, the bankruptcy, the divorce, that would be the most painful things in his life. No, he's a man. It's going to be some no. dumb stuff. He said that what hurt him the most was losing the trust of his publishers. There you go. See, I knew it'd be some dumb stuff. He said, I had embarrassed many publishers who believed in the legitimacy of this book. One novel was rejected 24 times. It was probably the best book I've ever written. All right, J.K. So he's Rowling. saying, I can't sell anything else. So why did he do this? Um, Not for the money, as Howard Hughes had speculated at the three-hour press conference. He was like, he must be just trying to make a buck. I'm thinking he wants it for the acclaim and the return to fame. He said he did it for the adventure. 
Oh, okay. Quote. It's an interesting choice of words, but yeah. I had just turned 40. I had done adventurous things in my life. I don't think my life was over, but maybe I felt slightly middle-aged. Although I was still shocked when the hoax was exposed that I was referred to as middle-aged writer Clifford (laughs) Irving. Who, me? The male ego is amazing. (laughs) But then I thought, maybe they've got it right, and I didn't grasp that. So, like, some guys go out and buy a sports car. He's like, Giant I'm, I'm going to fake an autobiography of the richest man in the world because, you know, I don't like convertibles. He also, he said that he also did it kind of for love. Love? What, the Oaxacan girl? He said that his research trips were a front for trysts with his lover, Nina Van Pollent, the Baroness. Uh-huh. This is what he said. When you talk about motive, it is entirely possible that one of my motives for doing the whole thing was to get away from home to be with Nina. Yikes. Ah, uh, wow. Yeah. Class act, bro. Class this is act. this is something he else he said about the whole experience. We were grown men playing games. Maybe oh, maybe oh they were amoral or immoral, but we didn't grasp that. I don't want to sound like an innocent. We knew we were doing something wrong, but boy did we have fun doing it. Literally say less. Right? <laughs> exactly. There was another like fun bit of speculation as far as motive goes that came from Time magazine. Uh-huh. They reported that federal investigators were following a lead, quote, that Irving may have needed money to pay off loan sharks of the mafia family of Carlo Gambino. They drug in the Gambino they... crime family. Oh, my God. That, it wouldn't be the 70s without, without at least one of the five exactly. families of New York, New Jersey. Exactly. In the epigraph to the hoax, uh-huh. his book that was made into the Richard Gere movie. Okay. This is what Irving said. You may look for motive in an act but only after the act has been committed. An effect creates not only the search for a cause, but the reality of the cause itself. I must warn you, however, that the attempt to establish relationships between acts and motives, effects and causes, is one of the most time-wasting games ever invented by man. And then he said that he was quoting 12th century philosopher Jean de Malincheuse. And then he follows that up with, actually, I made him up. I was going to say, that person doesn't <laughs> exist, and I totally disagree. Motives are everything. It's not like some un- uncoupled train. Yeah. Or we don't know how this got here. <laughs> He's incapable of telling the truth. Oh, my God. He, the faked autobiography was never published. Uh-huh. The original manuscript is missing. Irving made a Xeroxed copy in 1989. And then he sold it with other Hughes memorabilia that he'd collected in all his research at an auction in Texas. <laughs> he wanted to get The out winning there. bid was five thousand dollars. Ooh, wow. That's it. I know. But you can download it now. It oh, is really? available for download. Huh. Yeah. So Zarin. Yes. What's your ridiculous takeaway? That there isn't an actual Howard Hughes autobiography. <laughs> could you imagine how dope that book oh, would my be? God. If you could get his real take on all this, his real yeah. insights, and that halting weird language he uh-huh. would use, uh-huh. I would lose my ever-loving mind. If, like, also, the only thing that could be better is if he actually didn't want to write it and he had Orson Welles sit there and interview oh him the God. whole time and then that's who wrote the book. Oh that's my the God. only way it could be better. That would be amazing. Right? Oh. I would just watch footage of that See, on a loop. I'm, I'm naked in a chair. On- <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty hard on male egos, being a man, but that's the type of male ego I want. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles and Howard Hughes, just fully unfiltered, unfettered, so good, so good. unclothed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's all I have for you today. That was great. That was What's ridiculous? your ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? You're welcome for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, 
I'm really always fascinated by like compulsive liars. I can kind of see where. So that's why you like me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I can kind of see where. I had a student once who like couldn't not play, could only plagiarize papers. What do you mean? Like the student only turned in plagiarized papers. Like were they afraid of their own writing? I don't so know. Just, we had long conferences. Did they not understand the, what a paper was? <laughs> no, it was. It got to the point where I said, "I challenge you. I, I yeah. please, please, for the love of God." Turn something in that is your own words. And they turned in a plagiarized paper. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do the thing. Like, teachers sometimes used to make you do the work in front of them. You, I guess you probably couldn't do that in college. No, yeah, no. It's not really I mean, we had meetings they're paying with you at deans that point. and vice presidents, and it yeah, went that, up the that chain. Whole, that doesn't and, work. And it was just like, I. It, but that fascinated me. And, like, in this case, I don't think that this is, like, a compulsive thing, but it kind of is. Like It feels pretty close. I mean, like, the guy, he doesn't understand why he's driven, so that to me is a compulsion. But he's a, he's a good writer, too. Oh, he totally. But and that's what I think is not but he's also saying he tried to publish, yeah. you know, how, what was it, 24 times or whatever, exactly. and he didn't so, get. And the truth of the matter is, like, with publishing, you're not, it doesn't mean you're a good writer. <laughs> like, no, as we have found with the how people get publishing deals, it just means you have a story out that there. people think someone will buy. Mm -hmm. And, and that kid, that's a low bar to clear. And I've read people's manuscripts that are brilliant and they can't get published. Oh, yeah, no, the good writing doesn't mean yeah. it's profitable or saleable. Totally true. So. But yeah, so I just, the, the idea that, like, he just kept lying on top of lies and so confident in it. That's what I like. It, like, it would make me sick to my stomach you to float even one of these. And two then days I would of just, this would kill you. Oh, God. Yeah, I'd just be, like, in a cold sweat constantly. <laughs> and he's just colors. like, oh, pew, pew, yeah, I'll tell you some more. <laughs> well, I love this adventure. So I just, I don't, I can't get my head around that, and I don't know what that must feel like, so it's interesting to me to Well, to you have to become a middle-aged man. And then you have to be afraid of dying and losing your legacy, and then you just go from there. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'll tell, it's, it's yeah, a lot of try fun. that. I'll, I'll I think too, it. like this point in history, we talk about the '70s being yeah. a, a. It's a touchdown that people need to get time. into. But I love stories like this where you have all these like intersections of people in history. The and, Watergate of it all. Right. It's amazing. I have never heard that there was a Howard Hughes connection to Watergate, and I've read a bunch about that. Yeah, I mean, like there it is. That's just nice. There it is. Great one. So that's it. Thank you, Zaren. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter for the talking and Instagram for the gawking. Email us at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett, produced and edited by eccentric trillionaire Dave Couston. That's him! Research is by ace test pilot Marissa Brown and Swiss bank teller Andrea Song Charpentier. The theme song is by Thomas, Don't Cut My Fingernails, Lee, and Travis, Don't Cut My Hair, Dutton. Executive producers are director of McGraw-Hill Publicity, Ben Bolin, and Life Magazine fact checker, Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. GameBridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information the wait is almost over 
Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot iHeart.